Over the next several episodes, we're going to be dealing with what the Bible says about some tough and somewhat controversial issues. But once we understand God's heart and the truth, everything changes. Here's Pastor David. Abortion advocate Antonia Sr. writes this. It's not a baby. It's a fetus, you God squatties. The teenage me would have crowed at the pro-lifers. It's a woman's body, her choice. But then Antonia Sr. had her own baby, a little baby girl, and things for her became more complicated. She goes on to write, what seems increasingly clear to me is that in the absence of an objective definition, a fetus is a life by any subjective measure. My daughter was formed at conception and all that turned that particular sperm meeting that particular egg into my darling personality-packed toddler took place at that moment. She is so unmistakably herself, her own person, forged in my womb, not by my mothering. Any other conclusion is a convenient lie that we on the pro-choice side of the debate tell ourselves to make us feel better about the action of taking a life. But even with the blessing of the God-given miracle of this little baby girl, her daughter, and her clear understanding that life begins at conception, Antonia Sr. remains an advocate for abortion. And you might wonder to yourself, how could that be? What could justify her beliefs? What's more important to Antonia Sr. is what she describes as reproductive rights. And these are rights that she basically says she would die for. That's how important they are to her. She says this, the single biggest factor in women's liberation was our newly found ability to impose our will on biology. What that means is that in her mind, the freedom of women is largely dependent or mostly dependent on the ability of a woman to choose to kill what she calls a life. Kind of a chilling end to the article. She says this, The nearly 200,000 aborted babies in the UK each year are the lesser evil. No matter how you define life or death for that matter, if you are willing to die for a cause, you must be prepared to kill for it too. You must be prepared to kill. What's wrong with us? We're so broken as people. It's easy to pass off ideas like those of Antonia Sr. as if they were rare, but they're not. And this is not some woman who's, you know, cackling in evil laughter. She really believes what she's saying, and she really believes that she's right about it. She's not, she loves her children. She thinks children are good. She just got broken. And how have we become so broken. We've been conformed to the broken world through lies that we've believed without really thinking them through. That's what's happened. Over the next few weeks, if the Lord wills, we're going to walk through uh, what most of us would consider to be uh, some difficult stuff, some difficult material. We're going to be studying some stuff that isn't as much fun as some other stuff that we could possibly study. We're going to talk about issues like abortion, and sexual immorality, and transgenderism. 
And I recommend that you don't miss any of these next few weeks. And the reason is, is because the ideas that, that help us to understand God's view on these issues, they build on each other. And they're complicated. They're not easy. Understanding difficult issues takes dedication. And it takes work. And I'm aware that some of this is going to hit us hard. It's going to hit us where we are. And some of you have had an abortion. If you want to hear my story on that issue, you can go back and look at the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday sermon from 2016. It's on axchemist.org. If you want to see that, uh, you can hear my story about abortion. Some of you are, right now, you're addicted to pornography. Or you're sleeping around. You're sleeping with your boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, whoever that you're not married to. Uh, you're cheating on your wife or on your husband. Um, you're identifying yourself as gay or transgender or bisexual or something like that. You're walking through these kinds of issues. That's where, that's where you are. Now, this is what's important for you to understand before we get started. Jesus loves you. All of you. All of us. All of us sin. You need to know that first. Jesus loves you and I love you. First, everything the Bible teaches and everything that I want to say as we study through this is about God and the intense love that he has for you. That's it. You shouldn't take it in any other way. Even though truth may call out sin in our lives and it may hurt and may push up against us, it's calling us to transformation into good, into the good, into what God has for us. And listen, you are welcome here among the sinners in this room which all of you are, those who are thinking that you're not, you're sinning by thinking that. <laughs> and all these sinners need a Savior, just like you, if you're listening to this and you're struggling with any of this stuff. We all need a Savior, just like you do. And let me just tell you, so that we can get this out of the way, I'm the chief of those sinners. There's nothing that you're doing or that you're struggling with or that you've done that's worse than the ways which I have been wicked and betrayed my God and my King, and he's forgiven even me. And he can do that for you. Jesus is not about condemnation, but life and transformation. That's what he's about. Listen to what Jesus said. For God so loved the world, you guys have probably heard this one before, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now listen to the next one. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's what he wants. So if you're hearing something different, don't. Don't. But once we know Jesus, all of us, every single one of us, we're all sinners. And once we know Jesus and once we're saved, we're not supposed to stay in the same actions and the same thoughts that we have. We're called to be transformed. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, not by your own power, not by your own strength, but by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. If there's a God, if you love him, if he saved you, the reasonable thing for you to do would be to present your body a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It means whatever he's called you to do with this body, you ought to do. That's your reasonable service to the God who loves you and who saved you. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
We're to be sacrificing our body, saying we're going to be obedient in whatever you call us to do and conformed, not conformed, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, this is important. Get this and plug it in. How do we get transformed? We start by renewing our mind, sacrificing our body, saying, will it be obedient to you, and renewing our mind, which has been what? Conformed to the world. How? Through the lies that Satan has put out there that people have been believing for as long as human beings have been walking around. Since the garden, when he said, did God really say that? No, you're going to be like God. Those lies have persisted throughout all of history and are still around now in old forms, new forms, same lies, same conforming to the world that happens. But we're to be saved and we're to be transformed. Now, if anyone at this church gives you the impression that they've got it all figured out or gives you the impression that they're better than you because they don't struggle with your particular sin, let me just tell you something. They're not representing Christ or his church or this local expression of the body of Christ at Acts Church. They, they represent none of that. We're not better than anybody else. We are not better than anybody else. I know we say that and we can say it like, oh yes, I believe that. Like we say a lot of things, but you need to understand that. If you're in your mind thinking that there are people out there who struggle with this or that or the other thing, sexual immorality, uh, they're a liar, they're a cheat, they're a stealer, and you think, well, but really I am a little bit better, that is not Christianity. That's something else. So if that's you, start to let God work on your heart on that. And if you get that impression from anybody, let's talk about it because we need to get and help that person to understand the sin that's in that. Looking down on people that God made in his own image and likeness in that way. All right, now that you know that and you know my heart, let's get serious about this stuff. Change and transformation comes through the power of the Holy Spirit and hard work with our hearts and minds. You don't transform easily. If you've been conformed and you got to transform, that sounds like a painful process to me. you got to ask yourself, why, why do we fight with each other? Why are these, all these people standing out in front of the Supreme Court, however often one of these big cases come down, or all the little fights we see on Facebook or social media or whatever? The reason that we fight is because we're all fighting for the fundamental truths of the universe. That's what's underlying all of this. Is there a God? Who is he? Who are we? These are the questions that everyone's asking, and when they answer them, they tend to get pretty serious about it. And so we fight and we quarrel, and we get sideways with each other, because we need to know the answers to those questions. And once we do, we need to stand for the answers to those questions. Now, we've been in a series called Rooted, where we're going through uh, right now First Thessalonians. And we just uh, got through a part of the scripture where Paul has been dealing with the Thessalonians and talking to them, and we're going to get into a part of scripture where we talk about purity and holiness being set apart the way that God wants us to. That the scripture calls us to sacrifice to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And it calls us to not be conformed, but be transformed, just like those verses that we just read, except it gives it out in a little bit more of a practical way, telling us how to do that. Now, if you brought your Bible today, grab it out, bust it out. If you did not bring it or do not have one, there should be one in one of the chairs in front of you in those little seat pockets. If you don't have one at home, take one of those with you. That's our gift to you. We'll also have the scripture on the screens if you'd rather do it that way. 
Let's get into 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 3. We're starting in verse 9, okay? For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Remember, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they were concerned. They were, they were broken over what was happening to the Thessalonian believers who were up in Thessalonica where they weren't. And these Thessalonian believers were undergoing persecution, so they were concerned. But then they found out that they had stood strong, and so they were just overjoyed. They were rejoicing. They were thanking God for the Thessalonians. That's where they were at. Okay, But it doesn't end there for Paul. You've been experiencing persecution. We're glad that you stayed strong. But then he kind of wants to keep moving forward. So we read in the next verse, in verse 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. And perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, this is big. I want you, we got to underline perfect there, okay? Circle it, do whatever you do in your Bible, highlighter, smiley face emoji, I don't know. Whatever you put next to stuff that you want to remember, perfect. Put it there. Here's the deal. Listen. If your faith was perfected, if your faith was perfected, your actions would be perfect. You know that? If your faith was perfect, your actions would be perfect. If you had a complete and perfect faith in God, you would always do what you ought to do in complete obedience. Always. You would always do it. Why? Our sin, our mistakes, the things that cause us guilt and shame, the things that, uh, that, that we struggle with and so on, they may be due to many things, including our own wicked will sometimes and, and sowing to the flesh rather than the spirit. But here's something that's always present, always, always, always is present. It will always include a lack of faith. Because if we truly believed, if, we truly, if our faith was truly perfected, we truly believe what we say we believe, we simply would not sin. Now, how do I know that? We all have faith in gravity, right? We all have faith in gravity. How do you know? Because every time you climb up that ladder and you get towards that top step and it shakes a little bit, you grab that thing, right? Like it was, why is that? Why is that? Because you have faith in gravity. Because you know that if you're on the top of that ladder and then suddenly you're not on the top of that ladder, it's going to hurt. You know that, right? You have faith in it. Look, you can't see gravity, but you believe. Can I get a witness? Right? You got faith in gravity. Gravity can really hurt if you don't respect it, if you don't believe it, if you don't have faith in it. And our faith in gravity is really strong. Okay? Ask my dad about his faith in gravity. He doesn't like being in high places. He'll tell you all about it. So he'd send me up when I was a kid. <laughs> Rickety ladders, the top of this thing, I think I'm going to die. And it's, a, it's fine. Just keep the... I didn't die. That's the end of the story. All right. I would say our faith in gravity nears perfection. We have almost perfect faith. Our faith has been perfected in gravity. Interesting. We don't play around with it, but we do play around with sin sometimes, which tells me something, that we don't have perfect faith. Because if we had perfect faith in God and what he has told us about sin, about how it affects him, about how it affects you, about how it affects others, about the consequences for it, about the cross that Christ suffered because of it, if our faith was perfect in those things, we would not walk in sin. 
We wouldn't do it, okay? Because as surely as falling off that ladder is going to hurt, sin is going to hurt. God says so. You may not be able to see it like you can't see gravity. I don't really see how this sin is going to cause this. I don't see how this sin is going to cause that. But it will hurt, right? Now, because our faith is not perfected, we're still struggling with some things in life. Paul's saying, I want to perfect your faith. And the Holy Spirit, through Paul, tells the Thessalonians he wants to perfect their faith. He's also saying he wants to perfect them, right? Because perfect faith, perfect person. That's the way that it would work. So with that in mind, what is the scripture going to say? It says this, verses 11 through 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. I mean, not just Christians, not just people who live in the same town as me, not people who like the same things as me, not just people who put the same kinds of posts on Facebook as me. No, to all. To all. That's big. Just as we do to you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Okay. They want to go to them, they say. They want to go to them. Why? They want the Lord, the Lord, to increase and make the Thessalonians' love abound towards each other and towards everyone else. That's what they want to see. Why? Well, Paul and Silas and Timothy already know. They already said, we're already working on this. We're already loving. You've seen our love. We're already working through this process to get more and more love. And why? Because what does love do? Because it says that it will establish their hearts blameless in holiness before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. How does Paul want to perfect their faith? By the Lord Jesus Christ increasing their love. Increasing their love is going to help perfect their faith. Because if they're loving each other, if they're loving everyone else, they're not going to walk in sin, right? If you're loving, if you're loving everyone around you and everyone, you're not going to walk in sin, but you'll walk in holiness and perfection. He's making points, right? The way that, that the letters work is that he's walking through and he's making points. Here's the linear line of teaching. We want to see your faith perfected. Perfected faith is going to mean perfected action. That's implied. Love will show perfected faith and perfected action. Okay, now the Thessalonians have this. I want your faith to be perfect. If your faith can get perfect, you're going to have holiness. Love equals holiness. So love will help perfect your faith. That's the argument that he's working. So where does the Thessalonians' love need to increase? That's what he's going to get to. Next section, four. Start with verses one and two. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort... They really want this to happen, okay? This isn't like, hey, guys, would you mind if you just, you know, how we are with people because we don't want to be overbearing, right? Hey, would you just mind if you just, no. We urge, we exhort, we want to see you do this thing. In the Lord Jesus, that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Okay, he's sort of setting them up here. He's saying, listen, I've just told you about perfection of faith and love and how that's going to work, and now I'm saying, okay, 
I want you to abound more and more because we're now going to talk about the commandments that we talked to you about that are going to help you learn how to love. He's sort of winding up because he's about to throw a pitch. He's about to throw a pitch, and he didn't throw it over the plate. He's throwing at their head, coming inside, okay? And he knows that, so he's sort of set them up, sort of set them up. And now the pitch is going to be thrown. Let's read verses 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Okay. Now you guys are like, well, yeah, people say that in church all the time. Listen, this pitch would have hit them hard. Because the Thessalonians were around a bunch of people. They lived in a place where sexual immorality was rampant, where sex was actually worshipped. Okay, that's what they were living with. And so when they heard it, they were like, oh, woo, we don't want to talk about sexual immorality. Which, by the way, is probably how some of you feel right now. And I, frankly, I feel that way too. I'd rather talk about something else. Right? Because this is a big issue. We tend to worship sex in the same way that they did. And yet, the Lord is saying here, he's, he thinks it's necessary to talk to the Thessalonians about this problem. And because it's in here, it means it's necessary to talk to us about it too. Well, as you can tell, we're in for some powerful episodes. And having heard these live, I can tell you that you won't want to miss a single one. And now let me invite you to hear Pastor David in person here at Axe Church. We're real easy to find in Vancouver, Washington. And you can get directions and all kinds of info anytime at axechurchnw.org. Or give us a call at 360-885-9000. Well, that's it for today. And we'll look for you next time for more great Bible teaching here on Contemplate.